Thank you, Spencer. Um, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 5, and um, we're going to have a, a good time tonight. I'm excited because I've learned a lot over the past two weeks, and I hope you do tonight as well. Um, to kick off tonight, um, we're going to talk about the major theme of Genesis 5, which is death, because everybody loves talking about death. It's their favorite topic of conversation. Just kidding. You shouldn't start a sermon with sarcasm, right? Um, death is not fun to talk about, but the issue of our own mortality is really, um, it's a sobering topic of conversation. Um, I did a little bit of research and discovered that roughly 65 million people die every year. If you break that down, that means 178,000 people die each day, 7,425 people die each hour, and 120 people each minute. So the death rate is 120 people per minute. You might be thinking, thanks, Joseph, for these morbid facts. Just because we don't like talking about something doesn't mean that it's not a reality that we need to address. When we think about death, or if you've ever attended a funeral, um, you should think about life. You should think about the brevity of life. Psalm 39 says, O Lord, make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. So one of the major themes of Genesis 5 is death. We're going to see it over and over and over again. And uh, I'm super thankful that Brody closed out last week's message with um, a high note of hope because it was a really depressing chapter. Right? Genesis 4 is really dark. It's the, the first human death. It's the first murder. But then the last two verses right, is where God's grace comes and gives us hope and God's going to fulfill his promise. There's a remnant that's still to call on the name of the Lord. And so I love how Kent Hughes put it in his commentary. Christians, we must understand that during the primeval history, Genesis chapters 1 through 11, before the Abrahamic covenant, before the law, before the Davidic covenant, God's people were known for this. They proclaimed the name of the Lord. This is the distinctive of God's people. They proclaim the character of the Lord. They sing his praises. That is what God's people have always done through all periods of sacred history. Thus, this section of scripture concludes with a shout of grace. That's how Genesis 4 ends, with a shout of grace. And that's how we should be as people proclaiming the name of the Lord. I love Christmas time. I love how it refers to Jesus. I love that we just got done talking about Jesus. I love to hear about the, the first, the youngest person to ever celebrate the coming of Jesus was an embryo jumping in the womb. How cool is that? Right? And, and I think Jesus is is the embodiment of God's grace. So you can say Jesus is grace like in a manger, okay? And, and so the only hope that we have for our culture is Jesus. The only hope that you have is Jesus. The only hope I have is Jesus. The only hope our church has is Jesus. I wanna talk about that, for that to be on the forefront of our minds. We're thinking about death. We're thinking about this chapter because this chapter is full of death. But our only hope is Jesus. This Genesis 5 is the second genealogy in the Bible, and there's 10 generations listed. 
Um, now, I would be the first person to admit, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but when you're, when you're reading through the Bible or if you're doing a Bible reading plan, you stumble across a genealogy, are you tempted to skip it? You know, I know I am. I'm like, well, why is this in here? Like, there's a lot of weird names. They're hard to say. You know, there's a lot of ages and stuff, and so-and-so begat, and so-and-so birth, and so-and-so fathered, and it's like, what in the world? And so... Um, I didn't realize how fascinating this really is until you look at it in depth, which we're going to do tonight. So if you're tempted to skip over, if you're tempted to tune out, don't because there's some really awesome things in here. All right. And it's really super important for us to read genealogies, to understand why they're there, that they point to the promise of a fulfillment of that promise in Genesis 3.15. That from Adam to Jesus, we see God's fulfilling his word, right? What he said is going to happen. So what you're going to see on the screen is a, kind of a genealogy from um, Adam to Jesus. And so you'll see that there, it's really important because it points to Christ, how we got all the way from Adam to Jesus. And it's fascinating. We're going to go through this in a little bit, and you can stare at that for a second. But last week, we got introduced to the line of Cain. This week, Tonight, we're going to be introduced to the line of Seth. We're going to see how different those lines really are. Uh, but let's pray before we start to read God's word. Father, we praise you tonight for being God. We praise you because you are worthy alone to be praised. We acknowledge that tonight we need you. We need to hear from you. We believe that your word is alive and active. We believe that your word can pierce our hearts and our souls. And we want to lay ourselves bare before you tonight. And we want to ask you to please speak, to please teach us, to please open up our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears. Because we need to see what is in your word, and we can't see it unless you show it to us. So I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would work. I know that you already are. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. We thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this room right now and to read your word and to walk through it together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Genesis 5, starting at verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So Genesis is a family book, right? The emphasis on these first two verses is God creating humanity. It's a reminder for us uh, that we find our origin in the Lord. These verses are very similar to Genesis 1, 27, where we see the first uh, picture of the Imago Dei. We were created in God's image. The, cre the creator creates humans, male and female, in his image after his likeness. And so this is a very unpopular thing to say in our culture today, right, that that there are only two genders, male and female. It shouldn't be a shocking thing to say, but unfortunately it is in our current day and age. But we, we are, out of all creation, unlike any other part of creation. God's design and intention for humanity is to be his representatives on the earth. So what we will see now as we read through the remaining verses is a pattern. So-and-so lived. He fathered some sons and daughters, and he lived X amount of years, and then he died. Look at verse 3. When Adam lived 130 years, he followed his son in his own likeness after his image and named him Seth. 
the emphasis on likeness and image reflects back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. Seth is Adam's third son, so Seth means granted. The, the narrator tells us something about Seth that wasn't said about Cain or Abel, that Adam fathered a son in his own likeness after his image. So this implies that when we exercise the command of God to increase, multiply, and fill the earth, that we are reflecting God when we have children because we're increasing the Imago Dei on the face of the earth. So procreation is how we reflect God, his image physically in his created order under the curse. Alan Ross in his commentary said, in this new creation in Christ Jesus, people have the responsibility of conforming to the image of Christ, who is the expressed image of the Father, in order to represent him on the earth and enjoy his blessing. So because of 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Right? So for Adam and Eve, it had to feel like they were starting over. That's basically, they'd lost their first son, Abel was dead, and Cain has rebelled and turned away from the Lord, and so God granted them Seth, a new start. Seth was special because he had took Cain's place, and we should note uh, the contrast between Seth's line and Cain's line. Cain's sons would lead to vengeance, violence, and death, whereas Seth's sons would lead to life. Look at this other uh, picture it's a pretty beautiful parallel between Cain's line and, and Seth's line. You can see the similarities in the names. And I don't want you to get confused. As we continue to read through Genesis chapter 5, um, you're going to see and hear some names that sound a lot alike. All right? Um, but these actually are different people. Okay? Um, and so starting in verse 4, it says, that The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Don't miss the repeated emphasis of death in the chapter. Okay, the phrase, and he died, is used eight times. So we see the grave consequences of sin. God's word actually comes to pass. The curse of death is true, unlike the lie the serpent told Eve. If you remember that deceptive statement that he said, you will not surely die, we are seeing that God's word is true. The warning and truth of Genesis 2.17 is fulfilled. So let's be sure not to miss this. God can be trusted. He is trustworthy, right? He keeps his promises. He keeps his word. He fulfills it all the time. He has never failed, nor will he ever fail. So as we pick up, as we start reading in verse 6, every time we come to the end of a man's life, I want all of us to say the phrase, and he died together, all right? So I'm going to practice. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 again and see if you can do it. Are we ready? The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years. That is beautiful. Y'all are awesome at that. All right, let's look at verse 6. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalaleel. Great name. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalaleel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. 
When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared, and Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Did you feel the break in the rhythm? Right? It didn't say, and he died. Isn't that fascinating? Right? The flow of death stops. It just stopped. It's like this is, there's hope for humanity right here in Genesis 5. Right? The, the, the Enoch did not experience the curse that God said. The consequences of his sin will be death. This is, this is huge. Kent Hughes points out an astonishing, dramatic placement of Enoch's name in this genealogy compared to Cain's. Go ahead and put that picture back up of Cain's line and Seth's line. Listen to this. Evil Lamech, the, the man who worshipped his sword, was number seven in the Canaanite genealogy. While here, Enoch, the man who walked with God, is number seven in the Sethite genealogy. Those two are placed in eternal antithesis. They are hell and heaven, exponential death, unbounded life. There is wisdom for all in the life of Enoch. Who is this Enoch guy? This is fascinating. We learn that he didn't die, but why? And, And shockingly enough, the New Testament sheds light on this. Hebrews 11 Five says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Also in Jude 14 and 15, Enoch is preaching against ungodliness. So he proclaimed the Lord's judgment against the ungodly. He lived in such a way that pleased the Lord and the Lord took him. So the reason is clear because it's repeated that Enoch walked with God. It's interesting to note, Adam lived long enough to see Enoch walk with God. Flashback to Genesis 3, 8, when Adam and Eve heard God walking in the garden, what did they do? They hid, right? They used to enjoy intimacy with God, walking with their creator. And we all know that walking implies relationship. Adam and Eve were walking with God, and it's contrasted here that Enoch walked with God. So the Hebrew for walked means ongoing intimacy with God. The narrator emphasizes this walk of life and how it it did not end in death. Elijah is the only other person who does not die. You can read about that in 2 Kings 2. God also just takes him away. I did a little word study on the word walk, the phrase walked with God, just to see what does the Bible have to say about this? What can we learn? Uh, Micah 6, 8, a lot of you may know that verse. He, he has told you, O man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Listen to what God says through the prophet Malachi about Levi. In Malachi 2, 6, he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and no wrong was found on his lips. 
He walked with me in peace and a brightness, and he turned many from iniquity. Psychologists encourage people to take walks. They say something actually happens inside of you and somebody else when you go on a walk with them. They call it bilateral stimulation. Apparently, it creates this rhythmic pattern between your left brain and your right brain, right? And so they say that it's really good for anybody. If you're experiencing any level of anxiety, you should just go on a walk, especially with someone who's not negative, really positive. Go on a walk with somebody, right? And like, what's the result of going on walks with people? It's relaxation, increased flexibility, distancing effect for whatever's causing you to be anxious, right? So if you leave your phone at home and go on more walks, then you'll be less stressed. I mean, that sounds like a pretty simple prescription, if you ask me. Somebody else went on a lot of walks. His name was Jesus. He walked a lot during his life. Scholars believe that he walked over 15,000 miles in his day. Jesus didn't have the modes of transportation that we have, right? So he walked everywhere. Jesus made disciples while he walked. He shared the love and light of the gospel with everyone that he walked alongside. Jesus walked among us and with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Luke 24 tells us that the first thing Jesus did after he rose from the grave was go on a walk. And he went up and walked with some of his disciples and he talked with them. So the theme of walking continues through the New Testament. We can learn a lot about how followers of Jesus are supposed to walk with the Lord, how we're supposed to live day by day with the Lord. Just in one book, Ephesians chapter five, verses one through two says, be imitators of God as beloved children, walk in love as God loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Walk in love. Ephesians 5, 8, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light. Walk in love, walk in light. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. So walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom. Galatians 5, 16 says, so I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Walk in the spirit, live in the spirit, live in alignment with the spirit, walk in the spirit. You won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So what does it look like today to walk with Jesus? Some people say that the Bible's full of a list of rules. It's just a bunch of do's and don'ts, right? But here in Genesis 5, we see that walking with God is what pleases the Lord. It's not a, a list of do's and don'ts. It's, it's a relationship. It's walking with the Lord. Walking with God's all about having a relationship. It's about intimacy with your creator and redeemer. Walking with God means that you have faith in God, that you trust him, that you've received forgiveness of your sins, that walking with the Lord means that you are enjoying communion with him, that you obey him, that you love him. So how many of you, let's raise your hands for this one. How many of you have an Apple Watch a Fitbit, or some kind of device where you count your steps? Some of you. Okay, a good portion of you. Well, you might have a goal that you set every day. I'm going to get this amount of steps in during the day, right? And so you have to walk in order to do those things, right? Um, when I, I used to have an Apple Watch till it broke, and I would try to close that circle. You know what I'm talking about. Like that move ring. I was talking with my father-in-law this week um, about walking with the Lord, and he said, um, so him 
and his wife, Teresa, they have um, Apple Watches. And he said that every night before they go to bed, um, they set their watches on the chargers. You know, and he said sometimes if Teresa hasn't closed her circle, that she'll run around the bedroom and try to close the circle. I've seen people do that before too. It's hilarious. And, um, and he, he said, how cool would it be if we had an app that tracked our walk with God? That you could look and see how many times during the day you walked with the Lord. Or you had little reminders, maybe when you weren't walking with him, that you could walk with the Lord. Now, that'd be pretty, pretty awesome. I imagine that Enoch, if he had an app, that it would have broken because he lived for 300 years walking with the Lord. That's pretty fascinating. What does it look like to walk with the Lord? Well, the Bible tells us to walk in love, walk in light, walk in wisdom, walk in the Spirit. Look at verse 25, Genesis 5:25. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years, had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Good job. You guys are paying attention. So, Methuselah is really famous for what? Does anybody know? 969, and he's just the oldest guy in the Bible. The oldest person to ever live, right? And his father was Enoch. So, becoming a father really changed Enoch's life, for that's when he began walking with the Lord. It doesn't say that he was walking with the Lord before age 65, but after age 65, it says he began to walk with the Lord. And Kent Hughes says this, what we see in some is that Enoch's walk with God summed all of his life. His walk was rooted in deepest intimacy with God. He knew God. His walk rested on great faith. He believed in God with all of his heart. He believed that God would judge and reward all who live. And so he preached the righteousness of God. This describes not the high point of his life, but his entire life for 300 years. Three centuries. It describes 300 years of a progressively closer walk with God. So Enoch's life reminds us it's possible to be faithful, to believe God, to walk with God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It is possible to walk with God. Can you imagine what Enoch's prayer life would have been like? How long have you been praying? About three centuries. You're walking with the Lord For 300 years, he was faithful. It is possible. You keep your eyes on Jesus. You can walk with the Lord. So Enoch left a great legacy for Methuselah. He set a beautiful example for him. Enoch's three centuries of walking with God would have had a profound influence on Methuselah, who would live for 669 years after his father didn't die, but was taken by God. So Adam lived for 930 years. Methuselah for 969 years. If you do a little bit of math, one commentator said it's pretty incredible. We learned that Adam overlapped Methuselah for 200 years. So Methuselah could have met Adam. Methuselah actually overlapped Noah for 600 years. So one man bridges Adam to Noah. Methuselah knew firsthand about Adam and could pass it on to Noah. That's incredible. Methuselah would father Lamech, who was a very different Lamech than in the line of Cain. 
If you look at verses 28 and 29, you can see why. When Lamech lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, out of the ground that the Lord had cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work, from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. So if you're wondering, how in the world did these guys live for so long? Right, like, That's pretty amazing. And why don't we live for so long now? Well, if you want to know the answer to that question, you can look up and ask Pastor John podcast because he did one on that. And it's entitled, Why Did the First Humans Live for So Long? And so we don't have time to go into it right now, but I'll put that in the further Genesis resources. You can look that up and listen to it. It's fascinating. But Lamech in line of Seth is radically different from Cain's great-great-great-great-grandson, Lamech. So Cain's Lamech murdered a young man for hurting him, and he boasted about it. Seth's Lamech fathered Noah, who walked with God, and whose line would lead to Jesus. Noah received a special blessing from his father, Lamech. So Ali and I were reading through this um, Advent guide called the, The Dawn of Redeeming Grace by Sinclair Ferguson. And this week, he was talking about the significance of naming children. And so this is what he said. The name Noah sounds like the Hebrew word for rest. Noah was not the promised deliverer who would bring rest, but the elements in his life, the way he went through the judgment of God in the ark, which eventually came to rest on dry land, served as a picture, a pointer to the one who says about himself, come to me and I will give you rest and you will find rest for your souls. So like Eve, she had hoped that Cain would be the promised son to crush the serpent and bring salvation. Lamech hoped that Noah would bring comfort out of the curse. So each name has a meaning, right? And, and if you look at the, these 10 generations as a part of our, our family worship time this morning, Allie had found a podcast that uh, was talking about the meaning of each of these names, and it's absolutely fascinating. Listen to this. Adam means the man. Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. Kenan means sorrow. Mahalel means blessed God. Jared means shall come down. Enoch means teaching. Methuselah means death to send forth. Lamech means despairing or lament. And Noah means to bring rest or comfort. So if you put all of those names together in one sentence, God is giving the gospel message through a genealogy. Listen to it in one sentence. These are their names. The man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching that his death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. How cool is that? Right? Listen to it again. The man is appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching that this death shall bring the despairing rest and comfort. That's the gospel, right? Like, this is why we shouldn't skip over genealogies. This is super important. They're pointing to Jesus right here in Genesis chapter 5, right? Look at the last verse. It says, after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So from this one line, would God bring forth the promised seed of the woman from Genesis 3.15? And when we consider the ages of these men and their sons and grandsons, amazing things happen. I'm gonna read from a sermon manuscript from Pastor John, real short. It says, Noah overlapped Shem for 400 years 
Abraham died before Shem, Shem could have told Abraham firsthand about the flood. It's very likely that Shem was still alive during the lifetime of not Abraham only, not Isaac only, but Jacob, all the way down into the life of the nation of Israel, all the way down to Jacob. You really only need four people to span Adam to Abraham to span creation to Abraham. You just need Adam, Methuselah, Shem, and Abraham, and you can get all the way to Jacob. So that's really important because God is passing down divine truth. This is incredible, right? That's one reason why they lived for so long. So their lives would overlap. So Noah was under the same curse, inherited the same sinful, rebellious heart that his father and grandfathers had. So while Enoch and Noah are bright spots in this genealogy tonight of death, there's ultimately only one. There's only one who can bring comfort and relief and reverse the curse. There's only one who is a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father and a prince of peace, Jesus. There's only one who walked perfectly with the father, Jesus, the one who would come from the line of Seth, Jesus, the second and better Adam who would do the work and endure the pain in our place, Jesus, the promised Messiah not only for the nation of Israel, but for all nations, all peoples, all tribes, all tongues, Jesus, the one name that can save. There is no one else who can bring salvation. But how? How did he save? You know, when I'm tempted to think, if I've sinned yet again, and I'm tempted to think, how in the Lord could God love me? How in the world could I still be saved? The Lord brings this passage to my mind so often, and I want to read it to you. Romans 5 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before you were even born, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For If while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And in verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So we walk with Jesus now because he is the one who defeated death. Jesus defeated death by dying and rising from the grave. The resurrection proves his victory over sin and death, and Jesus reigns so that the empowering of his spirit, we could walk with him today. So Jesus takes the and he died from Genesis 5, and he adds, yet shall he live. Listen to this in John 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's the question for all of us. Do you believe this? Do you trust this? And if you do, then you have abundant life and you can walk with the Lord. If you long to have abundant life, Put your faith and trust in Christ alone and you can walk with Jesus because we don't look to Enoch. We don't, we don't try to seek to walk with Enoch. We don't look to Noah for comfort and rest. We seek to walk with Jesus 
and look to Jesus alone who is our great God and Savior because Jesus knew that you and I could never walk perfectly with the Lord. He knew that we were prone to wander away. And so he, being God, took on humanity, entered into our mess, and walked with us on this same rock we're on right now. And by taking on humanity, Jesus reaches out to each of us individually. The hope we celebrate at Christmas is the hope for humanity from God through Jesus. Hope has a name. His name is Jesus. The comfort, the rest, the relief, the rescue, the redemption that we all need and long for is found in Christ alone. When I was growing up, um, I rode the bus. Every day I'd get up and I'd have to get out of the house by 6.30 and run to the bus stop to catch the bus. And before I could get out of the house, my mom would always yell, remember who walks with you. She would say, remember who walks with you. She was talking about Jesus. He walks with you. Life with him is a journey. So the question in closing is, how's your walk? How's your walk, Christian? Are you walking in darkness or are you walking in light? Are you walking in foolishness or are you walking in wisdom? Are you walking in the flesh or are you walking in the spirit? How's your walk. Remember who walks with you. Remember that you cannot love without Jesus. Remember that you cannot walk in light without Jesus. Remember that you cannot walk in wisdom without Jesus. And remember that you cannot walk in the Spirit without Jesus. If you want to boil all of this down into one takeaway, I would say that life is short. Walk with Jesus. Life is short, so walk with Jesus. Don't have the perspective that you're trying to live for Jesus. Instead, remember that you are walking with Jesus. Walk with him day by day, step by step, hour by hour, moment by moment. Church family, let's keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's not lose focus. Let's walk with Jesus. Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. We thank you and praise you for this amazing gospel that we got to see tonight through this genealogy that Jesus, you didn't come to us out of a vacuum, but but you came through history, real space, real time, real people, real families, and not one of them was perfect. But you brought a Savior to us, Father, through imperfect people so that we could walk with you, so that we could have a relationship with you. And I know that you long for us to walk with you, to talk with you, to hear from you, to be sensitive to you, and to introduce other people to you. I pray, Lord, that we would go from this place tonight encouraged by your loving hand, by your sovereign hand that we see through your word in your scriptures, and that we would see that you have made a way for us by grace through faith to enter into a relationship with you, to walk with you day by day, moment by moment. 
I pray that if there's anybody in the room who doesn't walk with you, that they would enter into that relationship even tonight. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.